Brand Spanking New Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Adams. As of this glorious Monday morning, Duke lives vicariously through Christian Leitner. Andre Iguodala doesn't understand why people hate him for a $15 million vacation. And we still know what the Astros did last summer. But we begin with the three most important things that rocked our world and changed our perspective over the past seven days, or more specifically, the best of last week. First, the NBA capped off one of the wildest Thursday afternoons in trade deadline history with a barrage of deals and draft picks being whirled around the entire country that honestly left me more confused than Wolf Blitzer's recap of the Iowa caucuses. All-stars like D'Angelo Russell were shuffled out the front doors in San Francisco only to be replaced by cornrow projects like Andrew Wiggins, who I think is right on the verge of having his first true breakout season. The problem is we're going on year seven now with this shtick. We had Andre Drummond tweeting that loyalty is dead in Detroit after being shipped to another dumpster fire in the Midwest. You know what? You're absolutely right, Andre. But this isn't breaking news. We also had Enos Cantor trying to go viral by releasing a post of him running around TD Waterhouse Garden after he wasn't traded. I think deep down, Enos's true passion is being an advocate for B-list products as an Instagram influencer. It really could pay off for him. The most eyebrow-raising trade, however, came from the analytics center of the NBA universe, the Houston Rockets, as they traded away their $15 million big man, Clint Capella, who, by the way, is the only one on their roster that doesn't need help getting the peanut butter down from the top shelf of the pantry. In return, the Rockets received six foot seven Robert Covington, a 3 and D guy who really isn't sure how to formally pronounce the word rebound. With this trade, the Rockets are wholeheartedly and completely committing to the small ball mentality, which is something that no one has dared approach in the history of the NBA. Against the Lakers on Thursday night, the Rockets had 6'5 James Harden try the opening tip against 7-foot JaVale McGee, only to be easily out-tipped. The Rockets surprisingly won as they shot lights out from beyond the arc in L.A. Everyone was jumping on the bandwagon. People were tweeting about how the Rockets could be onto something that is light years ahead of any other team in the league. And that head coach, Mike D'Antoni, might as well get the words YOLO tattooed on his right butt cheek right next to the portrait of Roy Orbison. However, the joy was short-lived as the next night they were manhandled by the awful Phoenix Suns, shooting a horrendous 11 of 48 from beyond the arc. They lost by almost 40 to the second-worst-run franchise in the entire league. That has to tell you something. Add to the fact that they didn't have anyone within five inches of defending a game-winner against six foot eight Bojan Bogdanovic on Sunday night, which, as of now, the Houston Rockets are 1-2 since using an Oompa Loompa as their inspiration. I told you this last week, and I'll say it again. While I have mad respect for the character Barney Stinson and his laser tag strategy mindset on how to live your life, he isn't someone that should be dictating the mantra for how teams run their offenses. New is not always better. The new small ball lineup has the potential to be something big, but it also could ruin them in the long term. With that being said, the Rockets are going all in on the small ball way of life. This is Mike D'Antoni putting all his money on red and hoping for a string of good luck. They are hoping it could pay off, and theoretically it could. But putting all your money on red is never the best advice you want to give someone when they're walking into Caesars Palace. And that is certainly not the best advice you want to give a team ramping up for a playoff push. All or nothing is foolish, and since the change, the Rockets are 1-2. and two. At this pace, the small ball approach seems to be a sinking ship, a cocky, arrogant, analytic-driven version of the Titanic that has the potential to crash and burn into oblivion. Second, 
football is only just beginning. As of Saturday afternoon, WrestleMania has turned its face back to the gridiron as the XFL began its second attempt at a pilot season. We all remember, well, most of us do, at least the original pilot run of the XFL back in 2001, a time when, you know, Levi dresses were a thing and Shrek hadn't produced any sequels. The XFL was a bust, and the only real thing anyone can remember anymore was the all-pro running back He Hate Me being the face of the league. Also, Tommy Maddox was the MVP that year, which again, nobody can remember that either. This weekend, the games were entertaining at best, with the majority of the highlights aired on ESPN being referees discussing offsides penalties between themselves and play reviews only taking 60 seconds to overturn. I'm not going to lie, it was nice to turn the TV on Saturday afternoon and see grown men in helmets and shoulder pads on a field in New York, rather than immature pimple poppers in Phoenix warming up in the bullpen. We all know that we love football, and the fact that we are getting an extension of it following the Super Bowl will keep us glued to the screen. Or will it? Yes, the XFL was a hit on Saturday, with one of the greatest moments coming as Cardell Jones executed a trick play on the first play from scrimmage. But the reality is, that was pretty much the only highlight for the whole weekend, as the majority of the teams couldn't pound the ball into the end zone and barely mustered a few points on the scoreboard. Yeah, ratings were high after the first season, but with that in mind, ratings were also high for this first week of the now-defunct AAF, and if you can remember all the way back to September... That league didn't even make it to the halfway point of their own season. The problem the XFL is facing is the same problem the Canadian Football League faces every year. And no, that problem is not debating about when they decide to turn off the maple syrup taps at the stadiums, or how using Mounties are not the best way to catch streakers on a field, or even the CFL equivalent of a streaker is probably a middle-aged man in long johns who politely and accidentally sits in the wrong seats. No, those aren't the real problems I'm talking about. And no offense to all you Maple Leafs out there, but the CFL is full of average-slash-below-average players, and we live in a world where the American public does not want to tune in for below-average football. And that is what the XFL is dealing with. It is a lower-level product being marketed to people used to top-tier goods. And once people have tasted the top-tier goods, anything less is a waste of time. If I've eaten a filet mignon at Roos Chris, why would I ever subject myself to a Fiesta Lime chicken at Applebee's? I can't, and I won't. And depending on what happens in the upcoming weeks, that could be what the American public decides. The XFL could face the same fate as an appetizer from Chili's, out in a dumpster. Finally, the NBA All-Star Game will be this weekend in Chicago with Team LeBron playing Team Giannis and what appears to be... <sighs> Sorry, I almost fell asleep in that last segment because we're talking about the NBA All-Star Game, which no one really cares about anyway. Don't get me wrong, I love basketball in all shapes and forms. But the All-Star game is eye-rolling at best. I'd rather see them play in a league-wide dodgeball tournament like the NFL did at the Pro Bowl. When the reserves were announced this past week, there were some surprises due to players being overly recognized. Usually I would cough and say the name Russell Westbrook under my breath right here, but what's done is done. Long-tenured players like Chris Paul are cashing in their nostalgic tenure cards. Meanwhile, young guns like Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young are riding on a high. Every year people argue about the snubs from this year's team and why they deserve to be on the floor in Chicago competing for... Nothing. That's right, nothing. This year, the fingers are being pointed at East Wing ball players who got shafted, like Bradley Beal, Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown, and hometown ball hog Zach Levine. Meanwhile, Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker are two players who have still yet drank from the All-Star Cup, despite putting up great individual numbers. 
People can gripe about Booker all they want, and I completely understand how he seems like he deserves to be on the floor. But the fact of the matter is that Booker has never been on a team that has won more than 30 games in his five-year career. And at this point in the season, he's 11 games under 500. Sure, I get he's averaging 27 a game, but when he has a team loaded with weapons like DeAndre Ayton and Kelly Oubre, and he can't even float around the 500 mark, I don't feel bad that he isn't getting the gold star attached to his lapel. Win some games, and then we can take him serious. We now shift to what matters this week, which, for this week's episode, examines some of the most hated individuals in society. And no, I'm not referring to members of the Harvey Weinstein Company. Rather, I'm referring to the NBA referees, or as many fan bases who have been at the wrong end of some bad calls, the three blind men in stripes. There have been many high-intense situations that were tainted by bad calls in sports history. There's the 1972 Olympics, the tuck rule, the fifth down, the replacement refs who beat the Packers, as well as the highly controversial annexation of Puerto Rico. This week's blunder came in Salt Lake City, and no, I'm not going to make a Mormon joke here as many of you may think. I'll leave that to South Park. Almost everyone out there knows the mishap that occurred Thursday night between the Jazz and Blazers that pretty much set Twitter on fire, and if you don't, the Reader's Digest version is that Damian Lillard had a chance in the fourth quarter to tie the game. He was fouled on a layup attempt that was blocked slash goaltended by Rudy Gobert, and there was no whistle. The Jazz made a free throw, one by three. After the game, everybody was upset, arguing that the non-call was garbage, which it was, and that Portland was gypped, which they were. The league came out and said they made a mistake, which we know that, but it doesn't do anything anyway. They completely have justification to be upset, and Damian Lillard has every right to be furious that the refs made a huge error in the deciding moments of a game. However, for all the bad calls and outlandish witch hunts and Tim Donahue conspiracy theories that are made about bad refing in professional sports, let's just take a step back for a moment. In an average basketball game, refs have about 175 calls to decide on. The fouls, the travels, goaltends, naughty words said in between timeouts, all of them. 175 times where their judgment is put in the crosshairs about what to do in that situation. And interestingly enough, for the majority of those 175 decisions, they make the right call, which is astonishing. Tell me any athlete who has that kind of success rate. Gary Anderson doesn't even hit field goals as accurate as referees make good calls. By the way, I'm sorry to all of you Marshall Ericsons out there listening. Is, it, is this too soon? The majority of the time, they're right, which is impeccable for how many times they do or do not blow the whistle. They are more on point than Ken Jennings is at playing Jeopardy, so let's cut them some slack. Now, I'm not saying this to try to justify the mistake they made in the Jazz Blazers game. However, when push comes to shove, and it does plenty of times on the hardwood, the refs usually get the calls right. Now, the bigger issue with the whole argument is how people are furious that an isolated call will break the Blazers' season. Everyone is shouting from their social media accounts that calls like that are what will keep the Blazers out of the playoffs. Calls like that are the make-or-break moments that have the potential to rob Portland of a first-round matchup. Calls like that are the breaking points for their season. To which I say, they're not. That wasn't a game-winning shot. That was game-tying, and there were still 10 seconds left. At best, Portland would have gone to overtime, where who knows what would have happened. But let's back up even further. Yes, the refs made a blunder on one play, but they didn't really have a hand in Portland blowing a 16-point lead in the second half. They didn't tell them to stop playing defense on Boyan Bogdanovich and let him light them up from the outside. That was Portland's fault. They didn't tell them to give the ball to Carmelo Anthony and force him into a double team on the final possession. That was still Portland's fault. Let's take an even larger step back, which, let me remind you, 
I still think the refs blew the call. It was bad. I'm not defending the refs' mistake on this one. However, that call did not affect Portland's home losses to Golden State, Cleveland, New Orleans, or Phoenix. It wasn't part of the 24-point beatdown they suffered at the hands of the New York Knicks. No, that was all on Portland. Who traded away their entire bench in the offseason and picked up a bad contract with Hassan Whiteside? That was you, Portland. That wasn't the call. Who took a chance on a ball hog in Carmelo Anthony? That was you. Who let Robin Lopez go before he started making threes? Still you. You can't blame one call for the derailment of your entire season. There are plenty of other things that you have impeded your own progress, and that one call is a fart in the wind compared to the rest. Which brings us to this. On Sunday, we celebrated the Oscars, an overly dramatic gala with people totally and completely obsessed with themselves. I don't know why I keep watching it, but I do. This year, one actor who makes me want to vomit, Adam Sandler, was a little bit upset that he was snubbed of a Best Actor nomination for his role in Uncut Gems. Oh, the travesty, he argued. They took a golden statue away from me, he said. It was their fault I wasn't on the red carpet. Adam Sandler blamed the Academy for their blunder on not giving him a nomination for a very well-acted role. It is not the Academy's fault and their mistake that cost you a chance at an Oscar, Adam Sandler. You know what really decided your snub this year? Jack and Jill. Hotel Transylvania 4. Don't mess with the Zohan. Are you hearing this? You know what cost you respect from the Motion Picture Academy? When you decided that being an inbred alcoholic father abandoning his son who makes fart jokes in the film That's My Boy was a smart role for you to take. When you thought Grown Ups 2, a potty humor poop stain would be a good item added to your career accomplishments. Don't blame the Academy for you missing out on an award, Adam Sandler. Blame yourself for thinking The Ridiculous Six being released on Netflix was a smart role to take. I get it, Portland. You have suffered through some of the worst sports atrocities known to man. You drafted Sam Bowie instead of MJ. You chose Greg Oden instead of Durant. Brandon Roy should never have gotten injured. Kobe Bryant hit shots against you that he wasn't supposed to. Nurkic's injury was grotesque at best. You have been the brunt of a lot of unfortunate circumstances in NBA history, but you're not the only one who has been the victim of a bad call. And to argue that a goaltend changes the shape of your NBA season is ludicrous. You are better than that. Don't be Adam Sandler. Don't think that one call determines the outcome of your entire season. It was an atrocious, egregious, face palm of a moment that gave everyone the right to be irate on Twitter. And no, I'm not talking about the movie Pixels, another Sandler garbage pile. But one missed call from a ref is not the primary reason that you're sitting ninth in the West. Thanks for listening to Brand Spanking New. We'll definitely be back next week, unlike Mark D'Antonio's career at Michigan State. Sad to see a guy like that go out without a bang.